All right, here we go. Here we go with episode two. Ooh, Deb and Mel on PR, or we've had lots of feedback saying we need a better, snappier name. So, PR doctors. I think so. Well, we are Dr. Deb and Dr. Mel. I know. On PR. So here we are. Apparently, we also need a fabulous kind of musical interlude to bring oh, us we in. We do, we do, we do. But anyway, that's coming. Episode two. We made it through. Do you know how many people downloaded our podcast? Uh, well, you do because I we do. just looked at the stats. I know, but do tell Dr. Mel because I know you really want to. 68 downloads. 68, woohoo! I reckon that's great. Somebody likes us, Mel. Someone does, but I tell you what, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Your mum. Oh, don't talk about mum. Oh, well, thanks mum for listening, but um, I'm not allowed to swear according to my mother. She, said, she said it makes me sound rough. You're not rough, Mel. I know. I am a bit rough around the edges sometimes, but if I'm going to swear, Mum, I'll make sure I swear posh, okay? How do you do that? Can you do that? Well, you can. You can. Yeah, well, I don't want to say fuck so quickly, you know, so, you know. (laughs) Whoops. Swear box. Swear box. All right, so what are we drinking today, Mel? Well, I think it's important to note that we haven't exactly been flooded with offers, so Mm. we're still open to Hunter Valley Wine offers. Coming to the party. Coming to the party because, look, we are here to promote fabulous thinking on all things public relations, but also Hunter Valley wine, Mm -hmm. Australia's Mm -hmm. gift to the world. Mm -hmm. And it does help oil our brains, I think. Well, I just think it oils PR. Of course, of course. It just oils the world, really. Sad but true in some cases, but as we say, we only drink responsibly. We do, we And we advocate responsible drinking. And driving. No, no, we don't drive. No, but we advocate driving responsibly. Yes. That is not drinking and driving. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I think we should top up. Okay, so listen. Cheers to that now. Oh, I love that sound. So do I. And today we're drinking First Creek 2015 Vidello. Listen to this beautiful sound. Fantastic. The reason we're drinking First Creek mm-hmm. is because it was actually Adam at the Food and Wine Expo last week or the week before. Such a nice guy. Such a lovely guy. And he was the one that put us on to Comins & Co, yeah, which we drank last year, last so, week. Which, so, yeah, so knowledgeable. Adam or Comins & Co? Adam. Oh, Adam was great. Mm. Adam was great. And we did buy his Chardonnay, but in the meantime, I've bought some Vidello. And it is yummy. It is. And uh, I, I don't know, some people don't like Fidello, but what's not to like? Well, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day in Australia. I don't know whether it's Father's Day around the world. No, but here's to fathers. Fathers everywhere. Thanks, Dad, wherever you are. Shout out to single mothers too. Shout out to all <laughs> single parents. My God, fathers, mothers, everyone, doing right. it on your own. All right, we, we, we can edit this bit out, can't we? Oh, God, are we starting editing already? I think so. Well, I just think it's interesting. I um, I don't think we should edit. I think edit. this is us. All right. Unless we get really waffly. Okay. But. Okay. Well, I'll follow your lead, Dr. Mel. Will you? Yes. And all things, Dr. Mel. Oh, my God. <laughs> we haven't had enough wine for that. No. So, I mean, what's caught your attention PR-wise? A few things have caught mine, but anything... Well, lots of things have caught mine, as always, but you can go first. I went first last week. Did you? Yeah, but age, oh. age before beauty. All right, okay, well, I'll go first then. <laughs> 
So what's caught my eye, Dr. Mao, is this whole ridiculous same-sex marriage debate that just seems to be going on and on and on. I actually heard a commentator the other day say that Australia's debate on same-sex marriage has been far sillier than debates that have taken place in other countries. We're topping the world in silliness, apparently, when it comes to same-sex marriage debate with all of the kinds of advertisements that have been coming up from the no side of things. And It's interesting, though, isn't it, because both advertising campaigns were launched this week, mm-hmm. and I don't think we should talk necessarily about the advertising no, side no, of things. No, no, I'm not going to. But the PR that goes with those, who's actually managing oh, the PR campaigns? Oh, well, well, apparently, and according to the, to the Saturday paper, it's all being handled by a central media person um, for the Coalition for Marriage. And Is the, that on the no case? On the no case. Oh. Yes, yes, it's very tightly controlled. Very tightly controlled. So this journalist, he contacted the Australian Christian Lobby, the Australian Marriage Forum and the Catholic Bishops Conference. And each of those people told him to go to the Coalition for Marriage and speak to the media officer. Oh, and is that an organisation that's just been put together for... Well, I don't don't really know. I don't really know. But what I I think is interesting is this whole idea of who's the victim in this. Because it seems to me that, you know, um, a classic kind of PR story that you can sort of pitch to newspapers is that of the villain and hero. Mm -hmm. Or you can extrapolate that to also be the victim and the villain and the hero. So who's the victim in here? And what's really happened is, is that they've made, they've sort of positioned children as being the victims. I so noticed that about, in the advertising mm, campaign. It's all about the rights of the child. Now, see, that, that kind of rights of the child messaging, we all understand that. We all know that whole discourse around the rights of the child. And that children have to be protected and yes. looked after and have yes. that right to be mm. looked after. And that's a, a worldwide human right. So the villains, then, are the yes voters because they're not caring about protecting the rights of the child. Okay, so the whole PR campaign for no to same-sex marriage, which is the big issue in Australia at the moment. I don't know, is this of interest to the world? Because the rest of the world has already voted yes and moved on. It shows you how you can kind of play these storylines out. And they can have relevance in other contexts. True. Just because we're applying it in this one as an example doesn't mean to say that we can't see it in other examples in other countries. Well, I think PR, as we, you know, we're great believers in the fact that public relations positions people and causes and, mm-hmm. I argue, things mm-hmm. in all sorts of different ways. Well, a marriage, a, a marriage is a thing. Um, it's an entity, mm-hmm. a, a legal contract. But you see, the Christian lobby, was called the Christian, or the no-vote people, yep. they, they're then the heroes who are saving the children, sort of caring about the rights of children over the rights of individuals to marry. So the rights of the child are put ahead of them. That's how they kind of negate the rights. Because, I mean, just putting it out there, I absolutely am voting yes because I absolutely think that it's a basic human right to marry who you love. So, um, but what they're saying is it's almost like, well, actually, you're just, what about the rights of the child? Surely that should supersede the rights of individuals. And from a Christian point of view, the rights of a child refer to the fact that you need a a mummy and a daddy. I think it's probably their strongest argument. And if you and I were brainstorming a public relations campaign for this particular 
um, client, we would probably come up with something similar because it is their strongest stand mm-hmm. because otherwise you've got the whole issue of, well, you know, adults should be able to do what they like as long as they're not hurting other people. Mm. And so what the no vote has seems That's to it. have taken up is that they're arguing that same-sex marriage hurts other people, i.e. Children. children. Who are the most defenceless in society. True. Who have no way of defending themselves. They but my not. understanding is that there is no actual evidence to show that children that have no, grown up not. in same-sex marriages have have any disadvantage. No, there's no. Um, and no, there's no. No, there's no issue. No, there's no, no, no there's issue. absolutely no issue. But it doesn't need to be an issue. Obviously, for some people, their belief system thinks that there's the potential for an issue, and so they're sort of. But that's what the PR has kind of grasped, mm. hasn't it? That that positioning of well, we can't really position adults in a way that we, we we would like to because there's too many arguments back. Yes, that's right. But if we take this rights as a child positioning, mm. it's really hard. How do you refute that? It's very hard. Mm. It's very hard. But also there's another victim in this. When that when that when that story kind of fails, then the no vote become the victims. Because it's all tied in with this free speech. So at the moment they're actually saying, well, we're actually the victims in all of this because we're a minority voice. And we are being victimised because our beliefs are being ridiculed by, you know, the yes vote and things like that. So they're actually saying that, oh, we're the underdogs. So so they're positioning themselves as underdogs in terms of um, the arguments that are happening in the public space at the moment. Yes. So, I mean, in terms of a campaign, I didn't really think there was anywhere for them else to go. Mm. You know, so they've picked the two things... Mm. And they're doing it very well, I mean, and tightly controlled messages, you know, from a central media person, a.k.a. PR person. So, you know, so if, if, if the no voters are the victims because they're marginalised and, you know, mm-hmm. um, who are the heroes? Well, the heroes then are maybe um, people that... Are defending the no vote. Mm, change their minds, perhaps, and vote no as well. Um, and who are the villains? Who are the villains in this? Well, the yes voters, obviously. But so who are the Because heroes? they're positioned as potentially harming children. Mm. And we all know that anyone that harms a child is, is a villain. Is a villain. Mm. So the interesting, Dr. Duke. So the heroes oh. are, I mean, if you, if you change your mind, if you kind of buy their storyline. Yep. And you change it from a, no, from a yes to a no vote, then maybe you're a bit of a hero. Well, that's certainly one of the... Because you're, you know... Yeah. Yeah, I can see mm. that. And so in terms of a PR campaign, they've got, it, they've got it together. Now, I don't know whether people are going to buy it because, I mean, I, you know, I hear that they've offered me that, that, that potential to make those, you know, meanings that they want me to make, you know, like they want me to take up what they're, mm. what they're saying and my intelligence and my understanding and whatnot sort of goes tick, 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 tick. No, I'm not buying that. I can actually see what they're doing. Mm. And good PR in terms of, you know, the tactics and the strategy. Is it ethical and all the rest of it? Well, you know, it depends what side you're on. Mm. Um, but as a campaign, you can see that mm. it's, it's a sensibly thought out campaign. And it would be interesting to see how that evolves. Perhaps we can revisit that. Mm-hmm. But um, good, good, good spot, Deb. Good, good. Hey, do you think so? <laughs> Cheers to that, Deb. Cheers, thanks, Mel. My God, your glass is going down. I think we're going to top up with First Creek 2015 Vigello. Oh, yeah. This Thank you. is... Stop, stop. Thank you. Well, we're trying. 
Okay. We're drinking responsibly. Be assured. I love what this is doing in my mouth. I know that sounds... Does that sound rude? It does sound rude. Well, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's fruity without being sweet. Mm. What flavours are you feeling in this, in your mouth? Do you feel flavours or do you sense them? Wine is an interesting thing, isn't it? Like just that whole... Well, it's a little bit... First to the sweetness, but that's but sort of given it, away to some more sort of an acidy kind it's of taste. It's a citrus. A citrus, that's it. It's very lovely on a warm spring beautiful, afternoon. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, First Creek, even though you didn't uh, supply it. Um, maybe next time. Maybe next time, who knows? Call us. Call us, yes. Phone this number now. <laughs> do we it's have fantastic. We don't have a number. But we do have our WordPress site. Yes, just, just Google Deb and Mel on PR yeah. and you'll find us. You will. We're on Twitter and we're on the web. Oh, we are. We are. We are. And we're going to go on iTunes when I get, when I get our image sorted. Yes, who'd have thought? The image. But that's because Deb and Mel on PR was too long. That's now our tagline. Is it? And we're going to be, we're going to be PR, PR doctors. doctors. Because we are. And I'll get graphic artist son to do a little, do a little image. Oh, my God. We're, just, we're doing our own PR love. Cheers. We are. Cheers. Okay, so Dr. Mel. Yes, darling. What caught your eye this week? Look, I've been working down at UTS mm-hmm. and working with the lovely Professor Jim McNamara. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I read a commentary piece that he wrote about organisational listening. And as you know, and many you know, people in PR, Jim's been looking at this idea of organisational listening. It's really got me thinking about listening generally. Mm-hmm. I'm not a really good listener. I've really had to work over the last 20 years to, mm. to be better at listening. Mm. But as organisations, who is actually listening? Mm. Who listens? And Professor Island from the Scandinavian country of... Where is he from? Oh, my God. It's Norwegian. Is he? I think he's Norway. Oh my God, Professor Ireland. We've got a Scandinavian. We've got a Scandinavian block. Professor Ireland is <laughs> from Norway. We'll correct that next time, just in case. He posted an article this week about organ. You know, he, where he talks about dialogue and how organisations have you know dialogue with their stakeholders and people in the community and all that kind of thing. We like to say that a lot in PR. Dialogue. Mm, we do. Yes. We talk about it a lot. I know, but. Jim McNamara argues it's no good having a dialogue if no one's listening. No, because you're just shouting at the wall. Well, you're shouting at people Mm. and sometimes they shout back. Sometimes they don't even shout. But it's very much that kind of um, idea of, well, if you want a dialogue, people are going to talk back and they are going to give you their opinion. And then what are you going to do with that opinion and what are you going to do and who are they actually talking back to? Mm. Professor Ireland said people in organisations, like organisations generally, tend not to listen for all sorts of reasons, but a lot of it's to do with time mm. and lack of, lack, mm. of, lack of interest in listening, but also a lack of infrastructure people don't actually, aren't set up to listen. It takes time to listen. As you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I doubt very much whether anyone is sitting here listening to this podcast, not doing anything else. No. What are they doing? They're driving or they're, they're well, the multitasking. Ha- the housewives of Australia could be doing the ironing in the words of Tony, Tony Abbott. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
But you know, you're listening to this podcast while you're going somewhere or while you're doing something else. Exercising now. Exercising, cooking dinner. But listening is something that rarely people on the take. Tot. Oh my God, people aren't listening to us on the toilet. They might be. Oh, heavens, Deb. Hopefully in a bath with a glass of First Creek. Oh, that's, my recommended, that's my recommended thing to do. If you really want to vibe, our vibe, you should do it with a glass in hand. I've been telling everyone that. Well, I think it's true. It is true. Um, getting back to organisational listening, can't do too much wine talk, I suppose, given that we are on PR. And responsible drinkers. Absolutely. Are we responsible? Absolutely. Oh, thank goodness for that. Absolutely <laughs> responsible. You know, Patsy and Adina, they were absolutely fabulous. Oh, we're absolutely, absolutely responsible. Evans, <laughs> Evans, who'd have thought? Okay. But anyway, I was just thinking about this listening stuff, and it is about. Jim McNamara talks about organisations have to t- have to set up an architecture of listening. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. doing that requires time, it requires resources, and also valuing what listening... It comes from the top. And if you want to read something that's really good, I really recommend you go to UTS, you Google Jim McNamara, search Jim McNamara, and his report that he did for the UK government mm-hmm. on listening and what they got out of that really is one of the best things that's come out of PR. So, so is Theresa May l- listening? Theresa May... Theresa May, or one word. Oh, my God, are we back there again? (laughs) Theresa May perhaps herself isn't listening, but she has a whole civil service out there who who, who potentially could be listening. And in Jim's work, you know, he he actually set some of the agencies up to listen Now, listening and this listening, we're not talking spying here, are we? Well, no, we're actually talking about when people are in dialogue listening and taking note of what they say and acting on it mm. and letting them know that they've been heard. Mm. It's like counselling 101. Well, listening in interpersonal communication, I mean, there's lots and lots of... It's, it's, but it's, it's acknowledging that you've heard what people have said. And I think people want to be heard. Mm. And even if yes, you, you get are. back to them then and say, look, we've heard you, we can't necessarily do what you've asked us to do, but... We are taking that into consideration in the following way. Mm. Not just going, oh, yes, we've heard you and we're going to take that into consideration. Actually getting back to them and showing how you've considered it. I think that's really good. I think it's really good. Mm. My issue is, though, because mm. I was having to think about this, mm-hmm. thinking, do organisations, big corporations care or are they just going to use this to make more money out of us? And Jim says real listening isn't about when you actually just listen to strengthen your persuasive or manipulative messaging. It's about, it's about actually democratic society and fundamental ethical operating in society. This, but surely this is a debate that's been going on on PR over dialogic communication for a long time. I know. Are we not still going round in circles? I don't that? think we're going round in circles. I think, you know... Do you think there's headway being made? I think organisations are realising that, you know, with the social licence to operate, they need to be talking to the people that are letting them operate mm. or not letting them operate. Well, there's just more forums for listening, isn't, aren't there? I'm not sure whether there are. Well, we have... There's forums for feedback. Mm. But who's, who's monitoring the feedback? Who's, is anyone actually processing what's being fed back? Mm. And that, to me, is the difference. You can monitor it and sort of go, oh, well, 120,000 people... You know, this is a big investment, though, and this is a big jump 
for a lot of organisations. From really. monitoring to listening is yeah. a huge jump. Mm. And so that's what's caught my attention this week. I kind of thought, however, in terms of so many huge organisations, there's actually not a person to care about this. Mm. Because so many large organisations are run for the interests of the shareholder. Absolutely. As they are required to do by yes. law. Yes. Mm. And so it seems to me that unless you can... I was thinking about, well, I don't actually personally hold shares, but I do hold superannuation, mm. which invests in, in, That's exactly right. in yes. companies. And the thing Mum is... Mum and dad investors are everywhere. That's right. Mm. But if my company that I've invested in during my, you know, superannuation is listening or not listening, I really don't have any idea because I don't engage with my superannuation to that level. No. And the thing is, is that I suppose as long as I see my six monthly statement and my superannuation is looking healthy, mm. I'm a happy woman. Mm. But in terms of whether the companies that I've invested in indirectly through my super are listening and are doing what's best in a societal point of view, mm. I am so far removed from that mm. and so far removed from influencing mm. that process. Because if I was an actual shareholder, perhaps I might go to an actual shareholder meeting, put my hand up and go, mm. are you listening to the people? Mm. I heard that, that some people have concerns about whatever. Mm. Are, are we doing anything about that? But because my share investment and so much in Australia and around the world is in institutional investment, it's depersonalised it. Mm. Which mm. brings me on to the other okay. thing that caught my attention. Go on. Am I talking too much, Deb? I don't think so. Really? I don't know. Feedback to us if I'm talking too much. No, no. Keep going. Well... We can edit you out. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I think what's interesting, like this depersonalisation stuff, I bought Helen Razor's latest oh. book. Helen Razor, for those of you that don't know, is an Australian... Uh, well, she's on radio. She's a journalist. Feminist Marxist. Perhaps? Feminist Marxist, perhaps, yes. But she's just bought Anna out this... Anna Gardner. Anna Gardner, who'd yeah. have thought? But um, I've been a Helen Razor fan since she was on um, the youth radio station back in the 80s. When it was Double J. When I was a youth. When it was Double J, before it hit the three Js. Ooh. Our international, our, well, our international listeners won't know about that. No, no, no. And we know that there's thousands of you. Yes. Well, we're We've aspiring. got four. Shh. Shh. Two. <laughs> two in the US. Hello. Hello, US. Hello, and two in the UK. I know, and all our other listeners. We love from, you. From Oceania, Asia, Pacific. Oh, that's, that's broad. That's I know. vast. I know. But we're hitting the US and we're hitting the rest of the world. So beware. The thing is, though, with um, her book, she brought out this book called On Propaganda, which immediately caught my eye as something that's been related to PR over the years. <coughs> but she's written a book Related? On... Related. <laughs> Sorry. Well, what would you like to say about propaganda? Mm. I'd better not say anything at all. I think you should. No. Why? Because I want to have a job one day. Or do you think propaganda and PR are the same? Often. Well, propaganda... It only got a dirty word after the war. And it became a dirty word after the war. But propaganda to me is, is what is put out by an organisation or by a person. Mm -hmm. Whereas public relations is about relating to people that form around issues and that kind of 
you know, exert influence and stuff. Right. So PR is both then? Well, I think for the relations part in has that aspect of dialogue, relationships and whatnot, whereas propaganda to me is megaphone stuff. It's about manipulating messages, putting them out there for, for the use of achieving what you want to achieve. Now, what you want to achieve may not be naughty or unethical or no. anything else, but it is still, you know, I want everyone in Australia to immunise their children, for example. Mm. So I'm, you know, if I have propaganda techniques, does that make me a bad person? Absolutely not. Is it's it just a, a word that talks about um, a technique that's used in PR. I don't think that we should shy away from it. I think we should just own it. Fair enough. And, and I think that a lot of, I mean, this whole, I, mean, I find the whole, I know that we're all supposed to be about friendships and relationships and all of these things, but... Friendships in PR, I think we should drink to that. Okay, friendships in PR, yes. Um, relationships, but you know what? I mean, if you think about a PR person sitting in their office and they've got these target publics, what kind of relationship is it that they have? I they think don't it, know them. I think it depends a lot on... I mean, there's a, a great... Um, PR theorist called Bruce Berger, who, as you know, I'm a great fan of yes. his work. But he and Reba wrote about the power of the PR person in organisations mm -hmm. about 10 years ago. And it really does come down to the power of the PR person. Mm. And also not just the power of the PR person in an organisation, but the philosophy... Of the organisation? Yes, but also the personal philosophy of, of the PR person. Like, what does the PR person think she or he is there to do. Yes, but it's a two-way street. I mean, you can't just force people to have a relationship with you. You can't. Because you think that's a good idea. But if you do the PR for a relationship approach to the management of an organisation and, and you make a business case for it, mm. and I have done that in organisations. Mm. I've actually made a business case for having a relationship with people who were hitherto seen as the enemy by mm -hmm. the organisation. And I have, I've done that... Yes, you work to build a relationship with those people. And it's worked in terms of delivering excellent outcomes that are measurable because I've done things like I've pre-tested what's been going on in terms of attitudes. I've worked on that relationship stuff, but it hasn't been without selling it to the CEO or the Director General of the Which, agency. Getting back, getting back to your listening, mm. um, I think still starts at the top. I think when you convince people at the top about the importance of listening, that's when you see, that's the tough sell. That's convincing those with the power to change organisational culture. It's convincing them of the, of, the, of the financial benefits of listening. Because unless you can prove that... Yeah, they want to see the hard numbers. Yeah. Like, we're not going to invest in an architecture of listening unless you can show they it's going to... Fiscal benefit. If there's a, either a financial benefit or it's going to help them achieve their mission. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that may or may not be directly related to financials, but in the, the bottom mm. line sort of stuff, it always is. Who'd do PR now? We would, because mm. is there any profession that's more interesting? Oh, I agree. So I think um, what you're saying is true there, but... Oh my goodness, if we get into the difference between... I think that's a whole new podcast, Deb. I think it is. The whole idea of 
Well, you know, I actually, you know, I became a PR doctor by doing a PhD. Did you become a PR doctor by doing a PhD, Deb? Yes, I did. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> is it? Well, it is interesting. Most people don't realise that we are officially PR doctors, but we are. I know, but if there's an emergency, don't call us. Well, no. If you, if you, if you, if you're cardiac arrest, no. Although you're Bro- no, no, let's not go there. Right, Broken okay. toe, we are not your women. No, but don't get sick on a plane. Although we do use the doctor thing, hoping for an upgrade. But I think no, it hasn't worked. So I think no. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop doing that. Are you? Oh, I haven't. I'm... No, no, I I don't know. I it's 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 a hard thing. It's another thing for another podcast, perhaps the whole academic thing of PR. In the here and now, I just like some samples of wine. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing great PR for ourselves. We are. We are, and we'll do great PR for anyone who supplies us with Hunter Valley wine. Cheers, um, I'll drink to that now. I'll drink to that. And apparently you're not a PR whore. Not a PR whore. We're not PR whores. Good to know, Mel. I know, but you're not, <laughs> but you're not a wine whore. You, no, you no. called yourself a wine whore. I know. And, and Professor Judy Motion, who also, thank you for listening, Judy, thank from you, the Judy. University of New South Wales, she said we're actually wine appreciators. We're enthusiasts. Enthusiasts. And I think it's all about how we oh, position yeah. ourselves. Excellent. Well, I've really enjoyed this first Crete wine. We go, we can do a whole podcast on. We've run out now. We've run out of the wine. We'll have to we have to stop talking now. Now we've run out of wine. I'm onto the Aldi wine now. Oh my Aldi, God. Aldi. I like Aldi wine. Global Aldi sponsorship. You think? I think. And Aldi do good cheeses too. Well, if, Aldi call us. Well, well, if the Hunter Valley wines don't come on board in the next podcast I'm, or eight, I'm quite happy to drink some Aldi wine. Well, I'm quite happy to drink Aldi wine too if the, you know, the Hunter vineyards don't come on. But, you know. And they're beautiful cheeses. We could eat their cheeses. Okay, Aldi, call us. Yes, but so we don't have a phone number now. Well, you can contact us through our website. And we are on Twitter. Yes, yes. At Deb and Mel PR. Deb and Mel PR. Deb That's and... us. But are we going to change our Twitter? Absolutely not. Okay. All right. Deb and Mel PR. Man, we've got followers. How many? 50. 50 followers in a week. I think that's damn fine. We're rocking this, Mel. We are rocking. Here. Cheers.